0: Be for the honey be be for the yeah. be
1: SQD Santa Cruz 98.7 FM. You're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm Deanna Riley. Today we're going to be talking to Elaine Nussbaum. And before we begin, let me just tell you a little bit about her. She holds a certificate in Poetics from the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics at Naropa University and an MFA in writing, an MFA in writing from Pacific University. In 1986, she walked across the USA with a great peace march for global disarmament. Her work has appeared in Poetry Seattle, Bombay Gin, Dog River The Sun. Her chapbook, Poems in the Key of D-Flat, was published in 1992, and her newest book is called Jesus Christ Made Seattle Under Protest, which was released just this year from Finishing Line Press. So welcome, Elaine. Hello. So
2: nice to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: So uh, I see that you have a certificate in poetics from the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics at Naropa University. What kind of a degree is that? What do you study when you study poetics?
2: Uh, Well, basically poetry. So uh, the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics was started by Allen Ginsberg In the '80s, Um, and so um, I guess it was an ultimate alternative school. But you studied the same thing you would study in. So I mean, now it's an MFA program, but back then they were not accredited. Accredited, and I got a. uh, It was a one-year degree that I took me three or four years to get. And um, but I studied with incredible people, um, Allen Ginsberg. Being one of them. Um, And I can't remember everybody, a lot of famous, the beat poets. Uh, They had an incredible summer program Uh, Gregory Corso, Diane DePrima, just all kinds of famous people. Uh, It was kind of a wild, crazy scene of drinking and sex and gambling. Wow, Uh, that sounds great! it was pretty fun I, I was uh in my uh late 20s when I went there yeah it was oh pretty-
1: amazing and how amazing to be able to study with a great group of beat poets back in the 80s when things were still well from this point of view they seem cool but
0: <laughs> yeah
2: it, it, it was you know it was just like right before AIDS we were hearing about AIDS and uh it was kind of drug, sex, rock and roll. So I had to kind of stay out of that because I couldn't, I was there to to study. And so I had to kind of um, step back and not try and, you know, try and...
1: Well, that's college. That's how college is. Right. Right. Um, So I just want to tell our listeners um, that I'm recording, of course, on Zoom, and this is the time of COVID. This will be broadcast in a couple of months. It is currently the end of July, and we're here on my farm in the Santa Cruz Mountains. So if you hear any red tails screaming or coyotes yapping or mountain lion mountain lions screaming, that's because we're out in the mountains on a farm. So just a little heads up about that. And um, why don't we just jump into a poem then? Now that we know that you're like a rock and roller or that you're not a rock and roller, why don't we go right into this wonderful um, titular poem from the book, Jesus Christ Made Seattle Under Protest. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about where that title,
2: oh no, it's in the poem, right? I'm just going to read it because it's in the poem. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the title poem of my book, Jesus Christ Made Seattle Under Protest. That's how my mother taught me to remember the names of the streets Seattle where my mother was born and my father where their parents immigrated from Chicago, El Paso, San Francisco, Boston. My great grandparents from Ireland, Germany, the Ukraine, Czechoslovakia. If you google my grandfather's name you find a black and white photo a man in a long tweed coat holds a fedora at the grand opening of the Auburn value store, 1860. When my mother moved back to Seattle, she lived in a one bedroom walk up with her African American boyfriend. My grandfather never spoke to her again. I remember the smell of cat from the cat box and human bucket we emptied down the hall. The one eyed Norwegian landlord couldn't understand the photo of Huey Newton that hung above the bed, that iconic poster. Newton sits in a high backed or tan chair. He holds a rifle in one hand a spear in the other, the chair rests on a zebra skin robe. If you Google my mother's name, a picture circa 1933, She is five, her brother three. They stand on a res- residential street wearing new school clothes. The shadows are long, the sun catches the sides of their turned faces. My mother shades her eyes and looks at something in the distance.
1: Wonderful, thank you. That was Elaine Nussbaum reading the titular poem from her book, Jesus Christ Made Seattle Under Protest. I'm Deanna Riley and this is the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. So this poem has a lot about people being unable to communicate or understand each other. The one-eyed, no, one-eyed is good. It's kind of like the Cyclops. Um, yeah. like they, they're single-minded and they're thinking, they can't really see the bigger picture. They only have one mm-hmm. eye. Mm-hmm. You can't understand the photo of Huey Newton. I see that you wrote this in tercets for the listeners. It's three line stanzas, tercets, and they're staggered. Each line is is indented to make like a finger pointing almost. Is there some reason why you chose that form for your poem?
2: Well, one of my favorite poems uh, poets is William Carlos Williams, and he writes in staggered tercets like that. So I, I was kind of copying that form. And then you do notice the one single stanza is "My grandfather never spoke to her again." Mm. So that's kind of the turning point of of my life, um, or her life too. But um, yeah, you know, not being able to understand. And I I like writing this poem now with the the Black Lives um, movement. I'm sorry, Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, my mother was really involved in the civil rights movement in the 60s. And um, my stepfather was African-American. And, um, you know, it, the same things going on now, people can't understand these varying uh, viewpoints. Um, the new Norwegian landlord had no idea what, you know, what was going on. Um, so, yeah and then Jesus Christ made Seattle under protest so um protest I, I I want I talk about protest um a lot in this book
1: yeah the um uh, the straddled lines like that intersets really gives a sense of instability uh-huh. the number three I mean like couplets and quatrains two-line couplets, of course, or four-line quatrains, of course, they give more of a feeling of stability, but there's always a sense of like a three-legged stool when you hear right. it. And when they're straddled like that, it kind of feels like it's hurtling out of control. And it yeah. pulls in. But the one sure thing is my grandfather never spoke to her again.
2: And, and uh, William Carlos Williams, my, I understand that he started doing this after he, after he had a stroke. And on the old typewriter, he couldn't get it to move back or something. So, um, yeah, no, that's, that's very observant that um, it does have that kind of unsettled, wobbly feeling that you might have after you, you've had a stroke.
1: And the poem ends with my mother shades her eyes and looks at something in the distance. I notice a lot of your poems end on a kind of a telling image. And for me, that image, it's as if something is out of reach. There's hope. There's a look toward the horizon for change. But of course we know that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Right. And the streets, they just stay the same and they're, they're kind of a protest. Yep. yep. Nice. Well, um, so then you went on and got your MFA at um, Pacific University, which is in Oregon. Uh-huh. See, so Forest Grove, Oregon. Correct. Where I also coincidentally went. Uh, did you study with any notable people there that changed your writing or you learned something from that made you a different writer?
2: Well, Sandra Elkosser, um alcoser I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right, um, was my advisor for two semesters. And um, yeah, I actually would like to read a poem of hers. Um, one of the, and she's not there anymore. Um, just uh, very insightful. And, and the, my use of images, you know, you just, you pick the images that really you're speaking through images. Um, and she was really good um and a great editor you know you could bring her stuff and she just had a great eye of how what to put in what to take out um so she was my biggest influence um there um yeah
1: yeah imagery and description it's almost like the fingerprint of your mind everyone picks different images describes things differently it's it's your thoughts going through a filter, and everyone has different ways of describing things. they really, when you describe things, you're always describing yourself. I guess that's what I'm trying to say,
2: mm, okay.
1: uh, yeah. yeah. I think. Like that last image, you're really describing your view of the racial differences and the lack of communication and the kind of dissociation that's going on is really reflected in that final image. Do you want to read a
2: Sandra Alcosser poem? Uh, I, yeah, no. let me read that. Um, this comes from Prairie Schooner, um, edited by Kwame Dawes, who's also um, teaches the Pacific. And this is the winter 2019 issue. Um, it's a clothing portfolio, which is, you know, kind of strange for a literary magazine. Um, and I'm just going to read a little bit of, of what the, uh, the person who put this together, Adrian Christian, said. This portfolio is exciting because it brings with it the author's curiosity as well as the unique interpretations, giving it the same yet different specialness, like the multicolored threads that come together in a woven piece of fabric or patchwork quilt. Um, So it's really interesting to have this whole journal and ask poets to write about um, clothing because it's not really about clothing. It's about the poet's interpretation and and images. So I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Mother Ease by Sandra Elkholzer. When the skinny girl streaks by I long to be her, maybe 13, a blue carousel tattooed around her left thigh, just below her cut-off jeans, not a younger version of me, this one sliding fearlessly downslope on a skateboard. Follow me, she yells at the hidden side of a tree, to another girl I cannot see, the shy one who would have been me. And I've become the mother of a brave daughter who glides with utter joy, occupying an entire college campus late July. A rhythm to her giant glasses, ponytail, and legs, negotiating each crack in the pavement. We weave in and out of shade, 90 degrees, my mind racing ahead of her life. Her risk, a form of disobedience, a necessary chemistry, a devotion from the norm. Delicious, her risk almost holy, nothing gambled but her body.
1: Huh, that was... Elaine Nussbaum reading Sandra Olacasser's Mother Ease. And it's not Mother Ease, like the ease, E-A-S-E, the ease of something. Mother Ease, like a language. like
2: Correct, yes. Mother Ease, like the language of mothering. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is a word I've never heard.
2: Well, I believe she made it up.
1: She yes. made it up. Yeah. Yeah as if to say, this is the language of a mother. This is the way a mother views her daughter.
2: And Uh, I believe that Sandra does not um, have any children. Uh, She never talked about that. I don't have any children. So that's, I kind of, as as a woman who's never uh, born children, it kind of caught me, but you know, we all mother, all of us women and men too. I mean, we just, that's what we do we we mother each other or we should um but seeing you know this is this girl is not her this is who she wanted to be maybe and what i like about this is that you feel it so much in your body um and that's one thing i i learned from sandra's you know just you know a good poem you feel it you don't see it see it or you don't think it you feel it i mean i can just feel that 90 degrees and and see that girl and act, I can actually feel like the skateboard and what it's like to be on that skateboard and what it's like to be 13 um even if I I never did that and she never did that you can just feel that um and a good poem you should feel it in your body well I think that I mean
1: the language I feel makes you feel it She's playing around with rhyme a
2: lot in this. She is, yeah. There is a lot of rhyme in here.
1: The line, ending words in the lines of the first stanza are streaks, 13, me, fearlessly, me, tree, see, me. Yep. So we have this e, e, e sound. And then those details, a blue carousel tattooed around her left thigh just below her cut off jeans and a carousel and cut off jeans really evoke they evoke childhood you really feel that that's something you really feel a carousel it's you it feels dizzy you're going in circles there's so much joy in a carousel and it's tattooed on her
2: right and it's a skinny girl it's a skinny girl and that's, and the joy she's feeling from riding this skateboard.
1: Hmm. She yells at the hidden side of a tree to another girl I cannot see. And and you kind of already know, even before the author says it, that the sh- it's the shy one who would have been me. You kind of yep. know that that's who she's calling to. Yeah. Hmm. At the end, uh, in the last stanza, she goes back to a lot of those E noises. We weave 90 degrees, disobedience, deviation. I think you said devotion there, but it's deviation, isn't it? My copy's kind of hard to-
2: Necessary chemistry, a deviation. I did say devotion and it's deviation.
1: But yeah. that kind of works too. (laughs) A necessary chemistry. A deviation from the norm. Delicious. Her risk, almost holy. Nothing gambled but her body. When I read that, I was thinking, I wonder what it would be like if it was nothing gambled but her body, her risk, almost holy. Mm -hmm. It could kind of flip. So there's a little bit of risk there. There's a little bit of the fear and the danger of being a girl. In this yeah it's a nice one it kind of shows that you can write about anything yeah yeah i mean you could write about clothes i guess it's the cutoffs that are included in this that got it in yeah the- and
2: it's interesting that this whole uh journal it's you know clothes are just like very minimal but there's something each one has some item of clothing so it's the jeans yeah
1: well those cutoff jeans carry a lot they do yeah yeah they carry a lot of meaning great okay the author is the hidden girl in this poem lovely thank you Mm -hmm. um so shall we read one of your poems now go back to one of yours Shall we go back to one of the poems out of your book here on the Hive Poetry Collective at KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. You just tuned in. We're talking to Elaine Nussbaum about her poetry. I'm Deanna O'Reilly. How about uh, Memorial Day 2010?
2: Yeah, I think I'm gonna read that one. Um, And I thought about it at this Memorial Day because it was such a different Memorial Day. Every day is so different. Yeah, yeah. Um, And this kind of goes back to my experience at um, Naropa with Peter Orlovsky, who was the lover of Allen Ginsberg. And he was actually um, a good poet in his own right, kind of quiet. He was always with um, Allen Ginsberg. Um, Anyway, that's, um, I'll just read it. But also there is um, some lines from William Carlos Williams in here. Memorial Day 2010, 1,000 dead in Afghanistan, beat poet Peter Orlovsky died yesterday. Remembering those who died in war and those who lived their lives in service of art and peace. The honeysuckle by my porch sends up pale pink fingers to a mushy sky while fuchsia bells wear their elegance in a head bowed demeanor. A songbird sings a song I don't recognize or understand and the dishes sit in the sink, unfinished and unembarrassed. Chocolate cake half-eaten drowns on a soggy plate. And the fuchsia-colored daya is ready to explode. Of asphodel, that greeny flower, shouts Williams, green, 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 he screams. A squirrel screams and reminds me of the monkeys in Nepal, the smack Buddha on my porch holds. Yes, the dishes remain unfinished as I listen to the songbirds tell me winter is over. Yes, and summer is beginning. Yes, yes, yes. Memory is elusive of asphodel, that greeny flower. The rhythm of warblers, the rhythm of the shiny creek versus the hard creek versus the tumbling creek, the tumbling Cirque's Creek rumbles past with salmon fry that were hatched last fall, ready to begin their lives in the creeks and rivers and oceans of the world. Memorial Day, fuchsia, honeysuckle, plum and green, rivers rumble, tumble by.
1: Thank you, Elaine. That was Memorial Day 2010 from Elaine Nussbaum's book, Jesus Christ Made Seattle Under Protest. You're on the Hive Poetry Collective at KSQD Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. Well, something that really struck me about the diction in this poem is, and this is something I love in poetry, is you constantly brace high sublime language against more darker tones. Mm, okay. For instance, um, you have the honeysuckle And the pale pink fingers, I I guess you, I can't hear pale pink fingers without thinking of the odyssey again, the the pink fingers of the dawn or something over and over in the odyssey. Funny, because I thought about the cyclops in that other poem. The honeysuckle, which is this sublime and very sensory, because you always smell the honeysuckle, and then you have a mushy sky which we understand, anyone who's lived in the great Pacific Northwest, we understand. (laughs) We understand how we tire of the mushy sky. And the fuchsias wear their elegance and then in a head bowed demeanor. So they're elegant and then their heads are bowed. A songbird sings a song, which is an upward image, that I don't recognize or understand, a downward image. And throughout the poem, you're you're kind of playing with the bittersweet of celebrating the dead. Yeah. Which I really liked. And, And you're making a little comparison between those who die in wars and those, and artists. Yeah. So, you want to tell us a little bit more about your feelings about that comparison? That's kind of an interesting... Well,
2: we're, I mean, we're all warriors, but, you know, I didn't, um, you know, my my father was in the army, but I didn't know anybody personally that was like in Vietnam or, you know, I was against, I was a little bit young during Vietnam, I was in junior high, but, you know, against the war, um, I mean, yeah, we're all warriors and, you know, Memorial Day is to celebrate people who died in war. But let's, let's, memora, you know, let's memorialize people who their battles were, you know, they fought the battles by becoming artists.
1: And it is a battle.
2: Yes, right.
1: <laughs> it really is. The world will always tell you that you're doing something wrong when you're an artist.
2: Yeah. I mean, we're serving humanity as much as the warriors or, you know, the soldiers are. So that's kind of what I was trying to get, get at.
1: We're writing the history of the human heart. Yeah. It's the only place you can find it. You do have some repetition um, at the end. Where was that? Almost feels like a form. It almost The poem almost felt like a form of some kind to me. And maybe it's just the, repeti- the repetition of the green, 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 the, of Asphodel, that greeny flower. And I do know you do like repetition. You do write pantoums, and I know I do. Before.
2: I write a lot of pantombs. Um I've tried to write um, villanelles. I wrote a, few, but I like I like repetition. Yes,
1: I always say that all my failed poems are villanelles. Yeah, <laughs> it's a villain. <laughs> yeah, you do have a lot of repetition in this, and you got the tumbling, the word tumbling, so that you've got. Tumbling, and then it ends with rivers rumble, tumble by. Have an image of just life going on, more wars, more death, more artists trying to to uh, express the human heart and what we're all going right. through. The tumbling creek, the tumbling Syrx Creek rumbles past with salmon fry that were hatched last fall.
2: Yeah, and that creek is actually on my property. So I live also out in the country a little bit with some chickens. They're being pretty quiet right now, but uh, the rooster, you can hear them through the window sometimes. Um, yeah, and so I have a um, creek that runs through my property that salmon um, spawn mm-hmm. on. Oh.
1: Yeah, the salmon are so beautiful. That's one thing I- Oh, they're, they're beautiful. I I love them. Yeah, they are a sacred fish, definitely. So I, it says in your bio that you went on the Great Peace Walk. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and maybe how it affects your poetry, if at all?
2: Um, Well, it did. And hi, um, anybody out there who was on the Great Peace March? I think there are some of you out in uh, Santa Cruz. Um, It was while I was going to Naropa. um, I... uh, heard about the Great Peace March for Global Nuclear Disarmament, which was starting in LA and going to end in Washington, D.C. Um, a friend told me about it, and I thought, wow, that's, that's so cool. Um, I, I kind of got involved in anti-war stuff um, while I was at Boulder. Um, the people in Europa were kind of uh, not really involved in politics so much, but um I really kind of got into the the anti-war movement of the mid 80s and um and then it was kind of interesting because you know no internet you know telephones and mail um so I did some a lot of organizing and fundraising and then we heard that the uh, peace march um had fallen apart um had uh gone bankrupt uh in uh, barstow in in california in the desert and like well oh okay well i guess i'm not because i was going to join um midway through when i finished my term at naropa so i um you know well that's interesting and then we heard that they were coming through they they passed uh, gone over the rockies and i asked uh, alan ginsburg if he wanted to go see the the peace march, and we um, ended up taking a road trip uh, up to uh, Georgetown Lake, which is in the Rocky Mountains. And we found them, you know. So here, there's no internet. There's nothing. You just like driving, and we found them at a lunch stop. And uh, Alan Ginsberg um, got out and led. Um, so they stopped lunch, and then they moved on. Um, they always carried the American flag, which, uh, you know, was kind of the lead of the march. And, uh, Alan Ginsberg led for a while. Um, but before that, he, um, while everybody was sitting, eating their lunch. He read um, his poem, Howl. Um, so kind of a historic moment. Um, and, and you were there. And I was there and not only there, but kind of instigated it. Um, so then uh, in uh, August, I joined and it, you know, it was just, it was a sense of community and doing something really um, crucial. I, I wrote, a lot, a lot of people have written books about it, um, uh, I just, you know, I wrote some poems at the time, they were pretty bad, but, um, yeah, it just kind of, that life, um, kind of connected with my poetry life, um,
1: it's really hard to write a good political poem.
2: It is, and I've actually been writing a lot lately, and it's really hard in there, it's really hard to get them published, but, um, Yeah, so that kind of changed my life um, pretty much, but um, uh, then I came back to Naropa, finished my thesis, finished up my one-year degree that took me four years to to get, and um, so yeah, I don't know. It influenced my life. I don't know if it really influenced my poetry that much. It kind of interrupted my my studies, but um, there we are. They
1: say, not all who wander are lost. Right there's reasons why what an amazing experience
2: it was it was
1: well why don't we go ahead and jump into another poem salmon spawning sunday there's some
2: right so as i say i live on a creek where salmon spawn and uh, they're just incredible so i will read this poem salmon spawning sunday maple leaves drop like sasquatch prints around solid firs and spindly snags fog spreads in eerie form it's been raining for days then the sun emerges a faint disc in the southern sky suddenly a pair of coho only dark shapes at first a little riffle a splash then a fin a fluorescent scaly side back and forth they dance rise up sink ready gravel and soft mud then a splashing so violent it muddies the water to a froth you see the bruised moth-eaten skin scraped raw oozing red we're all going home to a still place surrounded by sleeping cedar with verdant fingers sweeping the surface of a dark pool lacy alder dancing
1: that was elaine nussbaum reading salmon spawning sunday from her book Jesus Christ made Seattle under protest here on KSQD, Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. I'm Deanna O'Reilly, and you're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective. And you're also listening to very various animals <laughs> making little noises, because we both live out in the country in kind of farmy places. And just listeners, if you're interested in knowing more about the Hive, we have a presence on Facebook. It's the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD. We have a Twitter presence too. And there's always ksqd.org. You can find out more about the station. And we have a website, hivepoetry.org. If you'd like to communicate with us through any of those platforms, we would love to hear from you. If you have some poems you'd like to know about or hear about, or you know some people that would be wonderful guests here on The Hive, or if you yourself would be a wonderful guest here on The Hive, please feel free to contact me. Well, I just love this salmon spawning Sunday and you continue to have consonants throughout this poem, don't you? Maple leaves drop like sasquatch, prints around solid furs and spindly snags. It's really an, a lot of hissing going on in this A
2: lot of SS sounds for the salmon, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Then the sun emerges, emerges, a faint disc in the southern sky. Imagine it's faint because of the mushy sky.
2: Exactly, yep. <laughs>
1: And you have a real turn in this poem. We are all going home to a still
2: place.
1: That's a real turn. I mean, you're talking about death there.
2: Well, I mean, the salmon are so interesting. You know, they're just gonna, they come up the river all that way to procreate and then die. And uh, yeah, so that's the life. So yeah. I don't think our living and dying is quite so dramatic, but we're all all doing it.
1: Yeah, it's just a shorter cycle for them. You see the bruised, moth-eaten skin, scraped, raw, oozing red. They really are, are having a hard time at the end.
2: Yeah, no, they get pretty, and especially sometimes the water doesn't come up soon enough, and then, you know, they're just, they're, they're scraping they're jumping over rocks and yeah and just amazing how they go they find the same place i mean i nobody i think understands how they go thousands of miles and then back and how they get come to the place where they were born i just it's just amazing part of nature that we don't know mysterious
1: well this poem like many of your others you end on an image lacy alder dancing That's that's kind of an up, an upbeat image that one Yeah even okay. though there's a lot there's a lot of death in the poem Yeah but uh, a sense of continuance I do love that line we are all going home to a still place definite turn definite turn there So that's a beautiful poem. Salmon Spawning Sunday from Jesus Christ Made Seattle Under Protest by Elaine Nussbaum here on the Hive Poetry Collective at KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. So you were a teacher for a long time.
2: I was yeah. In
1: Oregon did you find that your teaching affected your poetry at all?
2: Um. Well, I did r- very rarely write about my students. I actually have two poems in here about students. Um. I mean, it's kind of a fine line because you know you don't want to get sued or um you know you can't the confidentiality. Um. And I was a special ed teacher, you know, so I taught a lot of kids with you know some issues. Um, so I didn't write a whole lot about my kids, but but there's two kids, there's two poems that's about my students that are in here.
1: Did you uh, teach
2: poetry at all to your students? Oh, I did. Um, I was a special ed teacher, but I had a couple of times uh, Roosevelt High School in North Portland where back in the, I guess this was the late 90s, you could teach stuff without um, being licensed. So I did some um they were they were like selective class you know one day classes um and so I did teach teach some poetry to mainly special ed students and then recently, I'm retired, but I've been teaching um some poetry units at our juvenile detention center um here in Portland to um they they kind of turned to be um the kids call them rap songs and I call them (laughs) poems (laughs) but they're kind of the same thing yeah are you getting some good stuff out of those kids? incredible those kids I mean they're they're so young and their lives have been filled with basically you know such violence um and um I get some really good stuff yeah they
1: have a lot of good material
2: they have a lot of good material and some of them just know how to express that um in a way that you can understand it. So yeah. Well,
1: that's good work to be doing. And it's also good for them to realize that these terrible things that have happened to them can be transformed into, into something.
2: Right. Right.
1: I think that's good. I think all of us poets really enjoy the fact that whatever bad thing happens to us, it can be turned into poetry. But I must say the bad things that are happening right now are extremely difficult to write about.
2: It's, it's a pretty, pretty strange time. Um, I did um, put together um, 12 pages that I'm submitting to Tepelo Press. They wanted um, 12 pages. They're calling them four quartets. And I, I don't know, probably none of them, it probably won't get accepted. It was, high, but um, yeah, All I've been writing a lot um, during this COVID-19 shutdown, um, but I did come up with 12 pretty good pages of poetry
1: that's covid that's covid stuff right They're, yes yeah, yeah. Uh, well what i think particularly difficult about this time is you can write about what's going on in the world you can write about covid you can write about the, the racial issues that are coming up but what's also going on is just the difficulty of feeling your country falling apart and yeah So no, it's seeing the yeah. country fail it's kind of like seeing your parents fail or or knowing that you're not in a safe place and realizing you're not protected anymore and the sense of insecurity that that can bring up and the sense of trauma that can bring up there are an awful lot of things to write about about that too just what it feels to be going through this time and it's hard to look at because it's happening right now in real time so
2: well i also feel kind of like a, a a documentarian I feel like I have to get all this done especially when it first started happening I mean it was just writing and it's like this is a point in history that I've got to record so I was just writing in my journal like constantly I just always had it with me and um, writing stuff that would happen in, on the news or just yeah it was a um, that's my way of processing too so I was just writing everything down well,
1: that's kind of inspiring that you keep a journal
2: I do. I I do. I don't generally I don't write in it all the time but during this time I've been writing in it pretty constantly every day.
1: Why don't we listen to a poem about one of your if this sounds like it's one of your students and on page 73 in Jesus Christ made Seattle under protest um the girl with big eyes it sounds like it's about a student.
2: It is about a student and this one um just this student um just really kind of worked her way into my heart so I will read this one. The girl with big eyes, whose native name is Wise Little Raccoon, writes poems every day about her father who is gone, maybe in jail, and draws pictures of hearts broken in two. Her boyfriend breaks up with her and she cries and cries and can't stop and doesn't come to school the next day. A few weeks later she likes another boy and cuts class to come into my room and flirt with him. But today he is absent. She looks so sad. Her heart is full, as full as the harvest moon and it breaks, keeps breaking, won't stop breaking. Mm. Yeah, to be a teenager teenager in love is just, you know. That was Elaine Nussbaum reading uh, The Girl with Big
1: Eyes from her book, Jesus Christ Made Saddle Under Protest. From Finishing Line Press. I guess is this available just anywhere people get their books, their local bookstore?
2: Um, right. Um, it's on Amazon. You can go to finishinglinepress.com or you can email me. Um I, you know, I'd rather you got it from me than Amazon. So maybe we can um, put my email out there. The email will be on the podcast.
1: Little information strip on the podcast. Um, oh, great. Okay. Podcast. Yeah, just
2: send me an email and um, I will send you the book. Uh, I'll even pay for postage.
1: And it is available from Finishing Line Press, too. You can get it from the press if you don't want to get it from Evil Amazon. So, once again, you've got this repetition and it breaks, keeps breaking, won't stop breaking, which is really good because it's breaking re- repeatedly. Yeah. At the end there. This is really a sad poem because you can just see how the little girl has lost her father and is trying to find one boy after another to fill that sad place in her heart. Yeah. It's a poem about trauma. Her heart is full, as full as the harvest moon, and it keeps breaking, and it breaks, keeps breaking, won't stop breaking. The girl with big eyes. Was was her name, um, well, I guess you can't say her name.
2: I can't say her name, and <laughs> I actually don't even remember it now, uh-huh. um, but it, um, it meant wise little raccoon in, mm-hmm. In the na- whatever native language. So, um.
1: so why don't you tell us a little bit about your practice and how you go about writing your poetry? Do you have a daily practice?
2: Uh, on and off. I mean, especially now, I'm I'm get up and try and and just write. You know, write take my coffee, try and write whatever in my head. Generally though when I was working and busier, um, things would just come to me, um, driving a lot of the times, uh, just driving and I have to remember it or um, stop and write it down. Um, now I'll stop and type it into my phone, but um, just kind of stuff, images just come to me, poems just came, come to me, that's generally how, how I work or have worked. It comes um, as an image? A lot of times it comes as an image or as a phrase. And
1: what are some of your current projects that you're working on right now? Do you have any?
2: Well, um, this, um, you know, COVID poems are um, (laughs) kind of consuming me right now. So um, that whole process of just keeping the journal every day um, and then going back and revising and seeing what's working, what's not. but trying to work work every day um uh i took a lot of uh so at pacific i didn't particularly study with marvin bell but i've taken workshops with him and his you know he says just write every day whatever you know just take time and write every day so
1: the daily scroll
2: a daily daily scroll
1: well why don't we're almost done so why don't we end with you reading Ibu? is that how you pronounce it or abu on page seven, I believe yeah so before we finish off let me just say once again this is KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM I'm Deanna Riley here on the Hive Poetry Collective talking with Elaine Nussbaum about her book Jesus Christ Made Seattle Under Protest which you can get from the publisher Finishing Line Press or anywhere you get your books so why don't you go ahead, Elaine, and read Ibu.
2: Okay, and this, uh, this is, uh, I went through breast cancer for a year while I was um, in my MFA program. I don't talk about it much. This whole section is, um, I just meet um, people and I just like, I gotta write down about the meeting of this person. So I'll just read the poem. Ibu is a phlebotomist, his name tag informs me. He asks me where I'm from as he takes my white arm in his large black hand. That's where Bill Gates live, you rich? No, not at all, I tell him. Eboo ties the blue plastic tubing around my arm way too tight, finds the vein, glides the needle in. I was arrested there. I was new to the area. I got lost. I was trying to find the freeway. They wanted my ID and proof of insurance. I was trying to find a job. It cost me 800 bucks. My blood fills the vial. A red, black, blue color.
0: Mm.
1: Once again, ends on an image. Um, so why did you pick the colors red, black, and blue?
2: Well, if you look at blood as it fills up the vial, it is. Um, but this is like a lot of my poems, um, Talk, I talk about race a lot. Um, and uh, this is kind of timely because it was, um, you know, he, he was just a guy, um, I didn't quite, he, he had an African accent, um, and he was, um, arrested because he had black skin. It's um, a very believable dialogue.
1: Yeah. That's where Bill Gates lives. You rich. I, it's just very believable.
2: I can be- the, the whole thing really happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, um, I don't know if I have the, the dialogue perfectly but it does pretty much what what he said what i said i like the way
1: you deal with whiteness and blackness here he takes my white arm in his large black hand that way you define yourself as white yeah and instead of being neutral about what you are and saying that he is black which which would imply that white is default yeah so i like that i like the way you handle that there this is just a very evocative little scene. I really do like it. Well, we've come just about to the end of our time together. Um, but you know what? I think we have time for one more poem. So oh. I think I'm gonna go ahead and, and let you read just one last poem. How about Annabelle on page 17?
2: Oh, uh what page sorry (laughs) 72 72 okay and this is another one from that section i call them twisted little love songs they're just about people i meet just a little you know i'm never gonna see them again i meet them generally on the road so here we go annabelle lone pine idaho is the general store and cafe a sprinkling of small cabins and one trailer the soda machine is busted We covet the only shade for miles, relax in plastic lawn chairs and sip warm cream sodas. Inside the store, a polished wooden bar is covered with plastic bags of groceries, preparations for a guided hunting trip. Behind a collection of pine cones and a metal gold panning plate, a cougar stares at us from a pen and ink drawing. A sign proclaims, no ice. Annabelle, who is seven, tells us, well, maybe there is ice, but maybe not. She will ask her grandpa. Annabelle points to a red rock ridge. I can't discern caves from shadows of caves. If I howl at night, she tells us, the wolves howl back.
1: I love that little
2: girl who can howl to the wolves. Exactly right. I just fell in love with her for that five minutes we were there way out in, the, in eastern Oregon. So
1: that was Elaine Nussbaum reading... Annabelle from Jesus Christ Made Samuel Under Protest. And at the end of the book, there's just a series of really little prose poems,
2: aren't they? They are little prose poems. I call them little gems to myself.
1: Oh, yeah, like, you can call someone, some of them gem number seven, gem some number eight. I do, but yeah, they're little character portraits, little prose poems that are just very, very vivid. They are, they do sparkle like little gems, just like you say, and they're just little sparkling people. I know how that is when you travel and you meet people and you look at them in the eyes and you just think, gosh, I'm never going to see you again, but I'm always going to carry you in my heart.
2: Right. And that's what the, the moments are the gems, you know, that interaction between another human being, those are the gems. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And now with Facebook, you can kind of keep track of people, but I just remember One summer, I hitchhiked through Alaska with a friend of mine. Uh All the way from, oh, started in Juneau, I ended up in Homer. And the people I met, and- Oh, I bet, yeah. And I just think, remember thinking, gosh, you know, I'll draw a picture of you in my journal and write a few things, but I'll never see you again. So this, it is quite poignant, and I just love these final lines. I can't discern caves from shadows of caves. That's very mysterious. And then she says, if I howl at night, she tells us the wolves howl back. And I really like this too, because it's really poetry taking us to a place that maybe we've never been.
2: Yeah, and that's what poetry should do, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: making connections.
2: It kind of reminds
1: me a little bit about a poem that Danusha Lemaris wrote. It's in Bonfire Opera, and it's about a girl that calls hawks, and they. Oh call. wow! Wow. I called hawk. Wow. Uh-huh. But it's in Bonfire Opera, um, and the little girl goes,
2: "I can call hawks if I want to." And then she just screams, and the hawks start to circle. Oh, that's um, that's amazing.
1: And yeah, based on a true story
2: so is there any last thing you'd like to tell to our audience um before we sign off uh no this has just been great thank you so much for having me dion and um i love poetry and so uh excited to hear about your your podcast and i have told a friend of mine in in um, santa cruz he should get in touch with you so he might be he's a poet yeah Oh, yeah, great. That I met yeah. Met in a row, but
1: yeah. Yeah, and audience, anyone out there, if you're a poet, we would love to hear from you and we'll put you in our queue of fabulous poets to interview here on the Hive Poetry Collective. We've been talking to Elaine Nussbaum. Uh, she's been reading quite a few poems from her book, Jesus Christ Made Seattle Under Protest from Finishing Line Press here on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. Thank you all of you for tuning
2: in and Elaine, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: And folks out there in poetry land, don't forget that you can hear poetry every Sunday night at 8 o'clock here on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. It's either The Hive, Queen Bee's, doing an interview or reading poetry, or it's Dennis Morton. So be sure to tune in, because we need poetry right now as we go through what we're going through in this world. And please. Contact us on Facebook at HivePoetry at KSQD or at our website, HivePoetry.org. We would love to hear from you and hear ideas you might have for some shows, poets you'd like to hear about or people you'd like to hear interviewed. I'm just going to leave you right now with a couple of quotes that I've heard Ellen Bass quote a lot. One of them is Rilke. If the angel deigns to come, it will be because you have convinced him not by tears, but by your humble resolve to be always beginning, to be a beginner. And then another quote from Ernesto Pujol, to teach persons to make art is to teach them to resist the commodification of their wills and desires, to build a capacity for attention and response to that which is not like them or belongs to them. Thanks for tuning in. Take care. Stay well.